Welcome to my gay playlist and stories from outside the closet. My name is Liv Lombardi and I am your host. This is a podcast about coming out and the music that inspires our journeys. To me, coming out is an act of honesty. It's something that we do every day when we decide to live our lives as authentically as possible. I think you can be on any part of the LGBTQ spectrum and come out. You could be straight and come out. As long as at some point in your life you decide you want to live authentically and that goes against the grain. Where are my dreamers at? Where are my freaks and geeks and weirdos and losers and nerds? If you were ever told you don't have a place here, I'm saying this table is set for you. So take a seat and tell me about it. And we'll start with this. What are your stories and what are your songs? If you want to follow along and listen to each guest's particular gay playlist as you stream our episodes, head over to mygayplaylist.com. There you'll find each episode's corresponding song list. Until then, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hello all. Welcome back to another week's edition of My Gay Playlist and Stories from Outside the Closet. I am Liv Lombardi, and I am grateful as always to be coming to you with another wonderfully, amazingly bright light in the world to share their stories and songs of the journeys that brought them here. In other words, I'm here this week with my great friend, Daniel Shuba, and we're going to talk about their coming out story, what that means to them, and the songs that inspire the journey. How are you feeling, Dan? I'm feeling very well. I'm very grateful to be here. I'm so excited. So, For those of you who do not know me personally, which I'm assuming many of you don't, Dan and I have been great buds, uh, musical collaborators and besties, pretty much, for the better half of the last 10 years of my life. And uh, he's a really important guy to me. And also, he's an amazing human being. Daniel is a composer, musician, and a singer, and he also writes from time to time generally psychologically oriented papers or reviews says his intake form that he sent me. But uh, Dan, do you want to just share a little bit about what you've been up to and and what you do, how you spend your days and your time? Well, I've been playing music my whole life. And for a long time, that was sort of like the dream with a capital D. Mm. Um, And then, you know, I went, I knew I was going to go to college for music. And then (laughs) I came to Santa Fe. (laughs) And it got so weird. And uh, context: Daniel and I met at college in Santa Fe, and yes, uh, a year into our college time, our school closed down. And then, mm-hmm. about f- four months after it closed, it reopened, and we were crazy enough to go back to a school that closed and reopened. Uh, yeah. I have no regrets, and I'm sure you don't either. I have a few regrets, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> but it just continued to be the most mind bending and wonderfully strange yeah. moment I think I'll ever live through, aside from COVID. Like a dream that was stretched over four years that had a lot of people in it. That looked like the Island of Misfit Toys went to art camp. Basically. Yeah. 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 So I learned a lot when I was there. And I, and I, you know, even in that environment, I always felt a little out of place, like even in my tiny little safe little music department. I always felt like I didn't quite belong because I felt like a lot of the other guys were like, 
you know, and not just guys. I mean, everybody was sort of like a garage band kid. I mean, that was kind of the way we understood ourselves. And really until we started playing consistently together toward the end of college, even in college, I was playing a lot by myself still. Yeah. Um, you know, cause I didn't play guitar. I feel like, honestly, I feel like one of the reasons I connected with you in college was because we were both our own little islands of music making, but we like mm-hmm. found each other. Like I knew I wasn't an island because in the short distance away from my island, I saw Daniel Shuba Island and I was like, oh no, he's over there making music. And we would sort of, I don't know, like our waves would crash against one another in that way. And then finally we mm. began to play together, but I always felt solidarity with you because we were both doing our own thing and not feeling like we fully fit into the rest of the music yeah. making that was going around us. Does that make sense? Shit. Yeah. I mean, yeah. In the, and you were in the, you were in the theater department. Yeah. So, I mean, you were doing something very different yeah. in that way. And I mean, I think by the end of college, I, I, I didn't even think of you as like a theater student. In my mind, you were you were a musician. Yeah, I didn't either, which they hated. <laughs> they hated yeah, in the theater course. department. They were like, <laughs> she can't decide what she wants to do. And I was like, I will make no decisions. I will follow my heart. Now we're just getting into it. We're going to talk about some music and some feelings and some really cool stories that go in between it all. Well, Dan, I'm super psyched about this playlist because, yo, folks listening, this one slaps. It slaps. <laughs> Up front, in the beginning, it's going to slap you. And then it tapers off into the, like this very beautifully um, whimsical feel that goes even deeper like into this heart-calming realm. That's what I took from it. So I like that. Okay, so let's just slap right into it. All right. Slap what I it. loved about this, driving home from work the other day, throw on the playlist. I'm like, how is this starting off? It starts off, your playlist starts off, Cornflake Girl, Tori Amos. I think I've heard you play this many times. You cover this song. I remember the first time I heard this song, I was in the car. My mom had the album that it's from, Under the Pink. And it's kind of funny because um, the album itself is fantastic, but my mom only ever, of course, only ever listened to two songs, um, the song God and then the song Cornflake Girl. And I remember I have this very vivid memory of being in the car and I'm in the passenger seat and we're driving around Michigan somewhere. And just as it continued, something in me just started to recognize the metaphorical language was activating my body and I was getting, Mm. I was having like chills and then the piano, the way she was playing the piano was so different than any piano music I had heard up to that point, which was either kind of like clunky chords or um, classical music. And so she was doing these like ferocious solos and interesting voicings and it just, it, that song, it just like builds and builds and builds and um, it's wild. I mean, it's, it's just yeah. this w- like wild feminine with a capital F um, ride. Yeah. You know what? So, you know what I loved about this particular version 
starts off, it's a live version, and I'm like, okay, it's a live version. I don't really feel live versions. Like, I'm going to be honest with you. Most of the times, I'm like a live version skip. But this one, I was like, no, I'm going to listen to it. She gets on stage. You hear her get on stage. And the first thing she does is she's like, thank you. You know, she says, like, forgive me for being late. Maybe she was late to get on stage that night. And she introduces her drummer and her bassist. And you just feel this, like, love and respect that she has for them. And then I'm like, that's kind of weird. She only introduced the drummer and the bassist. But then the song starts and the drums are like, and the bass comes in and they're just like, they're riding it. And it is oh, like yeah. ferocious. I That's the perfect word for it. And the crowd is, ah, yeah. And then she starts singing and the piano comes in and it's like this perfect blend of all of these, yeah, wonderfully wild sounds. The way that she's playing it, these chords and these notes, it's so definitive to her. And because I know of her so much through your love for her, I thought, and it's so definitively Daniel, just because her music has been like a through line of sound within our friendship. So I'm really curious to know, like, what is it specifically about her music, this song in particular, that has been so um, important to you and seems like such a, yeah, like a, a through line uh, for your life thus far. Yeah, I think she's, it's almost like we're from the same star system or something. Like mm -hmm. we're, and I think a lot of people who get really into her music probably feel the same. There's, there's something about the construction of the music itself I mean, I always say that she's like the queen of bridges. Mm -hmm. Like no one writes a bridge like her and one song might have three bridges in it. I mean, you just kind of never know where you're going to end up. But there's this really interesting blend of emotion that comes through. That's one component. There's sort of uh, dream-like, fairy tale-like, uh, there's spiritual imagery, there's mythological references, there's literary references, there's references to food and cooking and references to sex, references to planets. I mean, anything you could imagine um, is, is in there somewhere. Mm -hmm. And the difference, I think, between Tori and a lot of people is that she gets out of the way and she lets the song come through. And she mm -hmm. lets the song tell her what to do. She doesn't tell the song what to do. And, you know, she generally uh, refers to her songs as girls. You know, she calls them the girls. And they're, they're like independent personalities. Mm -hmm. And she respects that and that they have this kind of autonomy. And when I first started playing shows when I was like 14, 15, and putting set lists together, you know, that was how I approached it when I, putting a set list together was like, okay, well, not only what songs sort of want to come, but which configuration, who get like kids, like, well, who gets along? Can I put these two next to each other? Like, right. I think I got to put this one at the tail end and this one at the front because this is going to, you know, they don't get along so, so well, but right. they can live in the same show. Yeah. So, so what do you feel like Cornflake Girl? Like, what, what's this one? Who is it? And, and how, and what's your relationship to her in that regard? Uh, oh, since boy. since it's starting this playlist, you know that I've I've deemed as your gay playlist says something about your life and your coming out story. You know, 
it had to yeah. it had to speak to to something or you had to like her enough to put her first right um really yeah exactly so of course you know i've read tons of things that tori has said about this song however um what came to mind when you were asking the question that sort of kind of slapped me in the face was um there is a lot going on in this song that's about accessing the unconscious mm. and you know people people use the word subconscious a lot and you know i'm very wordy and virgoy and um i i can be <laughs> i won't i might not say anything about it but i do cringe a little bit when people are like sub sub subconscious um also because, side note daniel has just about a phd in psychology and is very well versed in all of the the language that goes along with it. <laughs> Overeducated for sure. He's read a lot of many books. But she also says that herself in interviews, you know, she says unconscious. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And at the the last line of the song, I mean it repeats several times, but when she says, Where'd you put the keys? In an interview, she says, I'm talking about the keys to the unconscious. Mm. And so that for me is really the flavor of the song, but also, um, and there's a lot of other things going on in it about power and about relationships between women. But um, I think for me, music has always been trying to tap into the unknown. Yeah. Whether that was something in myself or external. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Okay, uh, let's take a quick break and we'll be back to chat about so many other of these awesome songs on your playlist. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to My Gay Playlist and Stories from Outside the Closet. To hear the songs Daniel chose for his playlist, head over to mygayplaylist.com. There you can find every episode's corresponding song list. Stick around. Because there's more stories and songs coming up right now. All right, we're back with Daniel Shuba on this week's episode of My Gay Playlist. We're chatting about the unconscious and oh, feelings and <laughs> friendship. <laughs> I love this human the being. Ship I love this human friendship. being a lot. Friendship. Our friendships are sailing together in the world. Uh, okay, so we talked a lot about Tori Amos, Cornflake Girl. I honestly probably could spend an entire episode talking about Tori Amos music uh, with you. We just started getting into it, and it just time just flew by anyway the next song on your playlist is closer or is it closer no it's closer <laughs> closer by nine inch nails and you know i don't think i've ever told you this but i was watching uh the nine inch nails rock and roll hall of fame induction ceremony uh their part in it i think they got inducted last year uh mm. 2019 or 2020 and you know they go through and talk about like the the life of the artist or whatever. And Trent Reznor, they were talking about him and he was sharing, you know, the stories that like when he grew up, this like kind of loner kid in uh, Pennsylvania. And there was something about his demeanor 
And I don't really know much about Nine Inch Nails. So I was learning a lot. His demeanor and like this gentle, um, brilliant musical mind that I was watching, how it mm. came to be who he is. And now he's working on movie scores and all of this just amazing. He, he's, he's incredible. I was reminded of you. I thought, this reminds me, there's something about the nature of this man that reminds me of my good friend Daniel a lot. Uh, so when you put the song on here, I was like, hell yeah, what's going on? Um, <laughs> he talked about, you know, growing up uh, and being bored and spending a lot of time on his own. And music was his his sanctuary and, and sort of what got him through those things and also was his good friend. And I wondered if that, rings true for you at any point in your earlier life. I know you grew up in the Midwest and then eventually moved to California. Um, but I'm curious if that statement, that sort of way of being early on is also similar to your experiences. Yeah. When you grow up in, you know, the middle of nowhere, there, there is nothing to do. Mm -hmm. And in, in a way, it can be really great because you have to create ways of entertaining yourself. But yeah, when I was little, I mean, I was, I probably spent a little bit too much time alone when I was a really little kid. And, and, and so sidebar, you were yeah. born in, admittedly, Indiana. I always forget you were born in Indiana. You lived in Michigan yeah. for a little while and mm -hmm. then it was back to Indiana before you went to California. Right. Yeah, I also lived in Illinois briefly. Th that's right. I knew there was a brief yeah. stint in Illinois yeah. before you moved back as an adult. That's right. Yeah, well, so when I say like childhood, I mean Michigan era, like four or five to like nine. Yeah, I started playing piano when I was about eight and a half. And that was one of the only things that I ever did. I remember sitting at my grandma's piano and just being like, oh, this actually makes sense to me. Mm -hmm. And uh, I had never really felt that before about anything. I used to play music by um, this Japanese composer. It's always written Nobu Ematsu. I'm not really sure what the correct way even is, but he wrote music for a bunch of the Final Fantasy games. Oh, cool. And his music is like, it's amazing. And like symphonies will perform it. And I mean, he's, he's a very beloved uh, composer and and I used to play some of his piano music before I would go to school in the morning and it was very calming and it was a very kind of like solitary sort of safe place because at that point I knew I was at the very least I was bisexual you know and I was in Catholic school in Indiana so yeah. I needed a lot of refuges and um, music was always the constant. I'm curious if there was any, so it sounds from what you, you know, from what you told me, it sounds like music was, it was your, the refuge. It was a safe place. It was also a, a place where you could create your own world uh, and like build your own reality. Was there any of that from other people around you? Or did you also feel like alone in that? Did you have anyone in your life as a, as a younger person in the Midwest, especially, uh, that, that you could tell those things to, or even maybe hint them to, as you started to become more aware of, the, of, of who you are and how you wanted to be in the world. 
Yeah, you know, it's funny. The one person that the first person I sort of confided in, and it's funny now because I always use this like conditional language because at the time I genuinely wasn't sure. And I remember telling a good friend of mine who I also played music with, and he wrote a little bit as well. And we were super close and we were messaging one night online. And I was just like, hey, I think, uh, I think I might be bisexual or gay. And he was just like, that's cool. How old were you? 14. Okay. And it was very, you know, uh, relieving. He was super cool about it. It was like a non-issue until uh, we discovered that um, at the time there was this setting on AOL Instant Messenger. I was going to ask, was it AOL Instant Messenger? BRB, G2G, TTYL. Um, (laughs) But it would, unless you had the setting turned off, it would archive your conversations. Oh no, freaking way. Yeah, and his mom would read his conversations after he went to bed. Oh no, damn. Yeah. Yeah, so she told the principal of the Catholic school. Oh my gosh. Um, I think she told a bunch of parents. It became like a thing. It was a very real thing. And I got pulled into the principal's office and questioned and you know, I knew what the deal was. I was like, these people are going to crucify me. I'm going to lie through my teeth. <laughs> I was like, I am a survivor. You know, I was like 14. I was like, I need to get, it was, that was all I could think at the time. It, I, I had no support and no like ego strength to be like, this is who I am. I was so terrified and vulnerable. I was just like, I know how to get out of this situation. I'm just going to say, nope, nope, I didn't say that. So wow. sorry. And, yeah. uh, well, and how yeah, could you was, have known what to say? It's not like there was any queer people. It's not like you had, you know, like, you know, one of your parents, like friends was gay and would come over for dinner and you can, you know, like you had no gay uncle, you know, you had no like older brother's friend who was gay. Like there was no one. It seemed like that could, you could even, uh, mirror some of those no. some of those survival tactics from because this was also let's think about it this was what in 2000 it was like 2002 probably 2002 the world uh was a much different place then and i will say that we've come a long way uh but yeah when we were teenagers definitely not maybe as unsafe to be in a lot of situations to be out uh though i can imagine in a Catholic school in Indiana in 2002. It still was pretty, pretty rough. Yeah, they were, you know, generally people were nice, but the the strange thing in that little community was, you know, it was like a small town. It was like everybody was in everybody's business and, you know, everybody thought their opinion mattered <laughs> and that you needed to know about it. And there's so much rage. There is so much like repressed rage there. I'm so sorry that that happened to you. And also I'm curious, like what, I don't even know if, uh, what did you gain from that? Was there something like <laughs> looking back that you could see? Trauma. Yeah. Well, the trauma, of course. But, um, was there something, is there something in that, that I don't know, like you said, there was, you didn't, you were in survival mode, which maybe that just is what it is. Maybe there's nothing else to that, except that sometimes we need to be, we need to just survive some things so we can get to the next thing. Yeah. You know, the thing that, and I don't, I don't really feel too much sadness about this anymore. Cause I have a lot of compassion for 
how I grew up and where I was. And, you know, I was doing my best. But when I really look back on various sort of incidents of being bullied or shamed for, you know, one reason or another by one person or another in or outside of my family, the real effect that that had that I can see each time was that I got further and further away from the world. I mean, I just got, I just started withdrawing more and more of myself so that I could, I could present myself in a way that I knew I would get by, I would get along just fine. Mm. But the things that were really important to me were all in the closet. And it wasn't just the gay thing. It was a lot of things about me were really hidden. And it was like each time I sort of collided with, um, and not just criticism, I just mean like meanness. Mm, For sure. I would just get further. It was like, okay, so now I have to protect this thing. And now I have to protect this thing. So I wasn't willing to give those things up. It was just like, oh, well, now I have to hide this. And so the list just accumulated. What changed that for you? Therapy. (laughs) A friggin' man. Well, I think also just, you know, I mean, meeting people like you, you know, meeting other people who didn't have it so easy or who had to really, things weren't so prepackaged and programmed for them. You know, they couldn't easily, and not that anybody really fits into these sort of paradigms or whatever easily, but the more I met people who, had to learn earlier on kind of how to navigate, you know, their bodies or their, mm-hmm. you know, presentation of themselves or sexuality, whatever it might've been. Those people are, they just tend to be more aware, not always, but mostly, you know, that they have to be aware earlier on. They tend to be more curious. They mm-hmm. tend to be more accepting because they've had to accept things about themselves. I mean, it all mirrors itself. And I think the more that I saw people being themselves, whether that was in direct relationship or in the media, I saw that they were being themselves and they weren't being immediately destroyed. Yeah. I mean, that uh, to me, that really sounds like you. As the more you found your tribe, the more you found people that you knew understood what you'd been through because of what they'd been through, the safer you felt to open the door so to speak, because we're using this analogy and Mm -hmm. come out and say like, Hey, this thing's really important to me. And this is who I am. And this is also part of who I am. And this is also part of who I am. Yeah. That's the best. Yeah. And you have to do it. And the other thing is it's, it's a, it is a learning process and everybody's different for sure. So there's no one way of of learning about yourself and learning how to accept yourself. So for me, of course, I did a lot of reading. I mean, I did a lot of, you know, I started on the one hand reading a lot of gay news mm-hmm. and just from all over the world. And then I started reading about gay history in the United States and not just gay men. I mean, LGBTQ, like everything. And you know, then I started watching films and, you know, films from other countries that were portraying different types of relationships. So, I mean, it became like an education process mm-hmm. and, you know, and I was sort of eating, you know, taking in these like other narratives and other ways of being and things that were imagined and experienced long before I was ever born. So that helped me a lot. And I think when you feel 
sort of like your ancestors at your back, um, you can move forward because you're not alone. I love that. I never thought of it like that. It's beautiful. It's not just the sentiment, but truth behind who we are stands someone else who's already been there. So on that note, let's talk a little bit about some of the music that you are creating right now, mm-hmm. currently. And there's one there's one piece in particular that you just released. Yeah, you just released. It's called Cloudlands. And tell me a little bit about this project, uh, what it is, why you're doing it, just what it's all about. I wrote it actually as a gift um, for my brother's wife as a Christmas present because, you know, we couldn't be together this year because of COVID. And I wanted to give, you know, creative gifts to people. I didn't want to just like send, you know, stuff through Amazon or whatever. So I I spent a couple days thinking about what I wanted to do. And I was going on lots of walks and just sort of observing the sky. And I was thinking about the feeling of, of, you know, when you're, especially when you're a little kid, when you're on a plane, Mm-hmm. And you look out the window and there's just this expanse. It's like a landscape of clouds and kind of the sort of like imaginal world you go into where you're just looking into this beautiful space. And it's like very ephemeral and you know you can't really walk on it, but you just kind of ignore that and <laughs> just keep dreaming. Mm-hmm. And um, I could feel the piece sort of hovering, but I knew the time wasn't right. And then suddenly the day came and it was. And so the, the piano was actually completely improvised. And then I added in the other instruments around it. And it just came together really easily. And, and I knew that I wanted to do something special with it because um, I was showing it to people and, and I was getting kind of a, a very strong response, you know, stronger than I, I generally get. And so I just sort of waited and then... Um, you know, I realized there's something about the openness and the spaciousness that I don't know how it happened, but I just started thinking about becoming more aware of all of the things going on at like the U.S.-Mexico border, which I've been aware of for a long time. But, you know, I was thinking about cloudlands in the sense of expansiveness and spaciousness and the notion of, you know, kids being detained in these like prisons and detention centers and people not being able to see the sky, you know, just imagining Mm. kids in rooms without windows, imagining people separated from each other and all of these artificial boundaries and borders that have been created. Because when you look at the planet from space, it's just one thing, you know, and from Mm. that bigger perspective, you know, we're just people and and it seems really silly that we are still doing these things to each other. And I know that there are a- an endless number of causes right now, but um, I found this organization that specifically works at the California-Mexico border in, uh, it's called Border Angels, and the website is borderangels.org. And they have several really great programs, um, 
some of them are quite life, I mean, literally life-saving. They will bring water and supplies to areas that they know people cross the border through. And they go back later and they find, you know, the water has all been consumed, the food's all been eaten. I mean, because people die. I mean, there's like an average of one person a day dying trying to get across the border. Seems like a worthy, a very worthy cause to me. So is your, is, is are you putting this music, Cloudlands is out and the proceeds that you get from streams and downloads and that sort of thing are going to help Border Angels? What I'm going to do is I'm going to do it through Bandcamp primarily and my Bandcamp, danielshuba.bandcamp.com. And so the song will be on there and I'll, I'll have a set price of $5, but if you want to pay more, you can pay more. And so I'm going to let that run for at least a week. And then I'm going to take all of that and donate it to them. That's beautiful. It's, it's truly heartbreaking. Yeah. It's truly heartbreaking. Uh, I think that, I think that you're, I mean, the piece is, is beautiful and that you're using your voice and the platform that you've made for yourself and that you have to contribute to helping, helping you know, alleviate some of the pain that right. is constant when it comes to all of what we've just spoken about is is just truly wonderful, really. Yeah, it feel for me, it's it's trying. I'm trying to be really intentional about um, using all of the different privileges that I have and trying to use them in a way that I can kind of do the most good um, without burning myself out on a baseline level, just to put a little intentionality towards things makes a difference. It brings a lot more mindfulness to not just the world around you, but to how you interact with it, which in turn, I think creates more of a, like you become more mindful and that people around you will respond to that. Right. I, I like to believe that we could, we could create a lot of positive change, um, if we all just did a little bit of that every day in anything that we do, I mean, if it's driving to work and not like yeah. being so aggressive while you're behind the wheel, like not towards people, just like within yourself. I, yeah, yeah. Mindfulness. It's important. Hey there. If you haven't noticed by now, this episode features original music from our guest, Daniel Shuba. What you're hearing now is a track from his upcoming EP, and earlier you heard a snippet of Cloudlands. If you want to hear the songs that Dan chose for his gay playlist, head over to mygayplaylist.com. Let's let's get back to some tunes, Dan. Uh, yeah, I I love so. There's there's some curveballs on here. We have waterfalls by TLC. Curious why that song is on your playlist. Um, but we also have some really beautiful ones. Like as the playlist goes, and it's not very many songs. It's about nine songs. Um, like I said, it slaps you up front, and then it brings you into like the depths of the Oversoul. We have Nirvana, Dumb, Every Single Night, Fiona Apple, The Codependent by Sia, which I'd never heard. Um, 
And then we get to these last three that I just love so much. The Mountain, Dave Carter, uh, Between Song by Meredith Monk, and Hope Rises by Melanie Monsieur. Where where are you taking us with these? And and which ones which ones stick out to you? For me, the way that this playlist uh, looks and sort of feels is that I would say the first three songs are like very early childhood. Um, they were very important albums, they're very important music. They also definitely say something about my personality, especially it's kind of funny even listening to Waterfalls a few times before I've decided to really put it on the playlist because even the, the sort of the chorus you know, don't go chasing waterfalls, stick to the rivers and lakes that you're used to. Um, I know that you're going to have it your way or nothing at all. I mean, some of the, the, the lines in that are, uh, were oddly prophetic (laughs) for my, for my whole life. Um, little did I know that, you know, I, yeah, I mean, my own, my own stubbornness and determination really kind of bit me in the ass, but, um, then dumb i mean nirvana was a huge part of uh i mean my childhood a little bit but especially like middle school and you know the first couple of lines like i'm not like them but i can pretend i mean there's there's so much of myself that i also see in that song yeah and so and and so these next two every single night fiona apple and sia tell me about tell me about these tracks very much like my twenties. Okay. Um, so I listened to the Fiona Apple song, I don't know, 200 times or something when I was at my first placement in my master's program, seeing clients. And I had to do this kind of long, it was a long commute. And, you know, when you work in community mental health, um, anyone, I mean, anybody can come through the door and you never know what that's going to be. And I, I don't think I was really emotionally or psychologically f- quite formed enough to be doing what I was doing at 23, 24. Mm. Cause you were seeing clients that, that soon after while you yeah. were still in, was it while you were still completing your masters? Mm-hmm. So yeah. you're learning and you're, you know, you're learning and you're in your own therapy. Yeah. And I was going to say, and you're, and you're in school. Yeah. And you're seeing clients, you're not getting paid, by the way. So I was also working at a restaurant and it was crazy. I usually had like a half a day off per week. And I mean, it was just like a perfect recipe to get fried. But um, I remember discovering that song and it just really spoke to what would cut through all of that was this really strong desire to just feel everything, Mm -hmm. to want to feel everything, like every possible feeling state. And that always somehow um, helped me push through. And uh, I listened to that like on the way to the clinic, on the way home from the clinic, I mean, over and over and over again. So I can relate to that feeling of wanting to feel everything. Uh, where do you think that comes from? What do you think that is that longing to feel everything because everything is also overwhelming to feel? Does that make sense? You know, I don't know. It could be <laughs> a conditioning. I mean, in a way, when you've repressed yourself, 
you know, you first you're repressed by a society and then you internalize it generally. Um, you want to push through that and you yeah. know, you want to taste all the flavors. And I think the problem is, you know, that can get really, it's a fine line um, between wanting to experience and being reckless. Oh yeah. And uh, I think now I've realized, I realize in my old, old age of 31. You're getting real old, Danny. <laughs> you don't have to look for these things, you know, you stick around long enough, you will feel everything. Oh yeah. Um, you don't have to seek it out. Mm. Um, so I was, I was definitely really uh, riding an edge there for a while. And then th the thing I really love about the next song about the codependent is that I think she sings so articulately and sweetly about such a devastating um, psychological experience and relationship that feels very true mm. um, about, you know, when, I mean, codependency, I mean, I grew up in a family with an alcoholic parent and a lot of, you know, uh, mental un untreated un instability, mental instability, emotional, psychological, every, I mean, every, everything you could imagine. And you talk to pretty much any, therapist or psychologist and that's probably going to be the case for them too so i don't really feel like i'm exposing myself but uh codependency is so strange because you know when you grow up if you have that kind of relationship with a parent or both parents or whatever again it's unconscious mm -hmm. so you don't know that you're doing it i don't know what the experience is like for someone who had a, a different family and then, you know, maybe they ended up in a relationship with someone who had addiction problems or whatever it might've been. But for me, it's like a relationship, a relational pattern that got encoded really early and, you know, it becomes normal. Which was to what? The point, like codependency. Codependency, uh, right. Okay. Yeah. So in, in that, the way I ex sort of experience and understand that state of being, it's that your well-being is dependent on someone else's well-being. Mm -hmm. So much so that, I mean, I was the parent of mine who's an alcoholic. I mean, I was like, you know, a little kid and I'm like monitoring their drinking. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was like, it's crazy. And mm -hmm. it's actually, I don't really hear it being talked about so much these days, but it's really insidious and... um it plays itself, it wreaks havoc in all sorts of relationships. And then imagine being a therapist. I mean, come on, you're <laughs> and your state of being is dependent on everyone else. Yeah. Um, and when I heard this song, I, I mean, I love the song. I love the music. I love the production. I love all the harmonies. Um, but I just thought that the lyrics have a lot of compassion in them, mm -hmm. you know, for, for the the state that you know you're in, it's not this harsh judgmental either way toward the self or toward the other person in the relationship. Right. Um, so it's really sweet, but it has some depth. Which yeah. I like. Yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm curious. Um, I'm curious if, you know, you've been talking, we talked a lot about your music making and how you came to music and, and why it's always been uh, an important stronghold in your life. Uh, and moving forward into your adult years, uh, finding counseling psychology and studying it. Um, do you feel like there was a coming out in terms of coming to terms with how you grew up and what you've, I mean, just having, I mean, honestly, 
without going into too much depth here about what you, you know, your, your time in therapy, like going through that kind of educational process, um, internally, externally, and then treating people. Was there a sort of coming out experience within all that? Like realizing who you thought you were in the beginning of that and then who you know yourself to be towards the end of it and what you learn from yourself by the sheer virtue of listening to other people speak about what they're going through. I mean, that must be incredibly taxing, but also incredibly enlightening in a lot of very difficult and interesting, unexpected ways, I'm sure. Well, I think I just didn't, I didn't really know myself very well. Mm. Um, but I thought I did. Before? I mean, I was, before I finished college even. Mm-hmm. Even though I, I knew I was confused about what I wanted to do externally, mm-hmm. you know, with life, um, internally, I kind of thought I knew myself well. Okay. <laughs> Turns out, uh, not so much. And, uh, and I'm sure, you know, some of this is developmentally natural. You're in your 20s, blah, blah, blah. Your brain's but, still forming all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever story <laughs> you want to tell yourself. Um, but, but I don't... Th- I, I don't really think I was fully there. Okay. And what definitely, what became apparent, uh, no offense to any <laughs> former colleagues, but what became apparent most of the time was that um, I felt more comfortable with the clients than I did with the other therapists. Mm. And I felt more sort of on the same earth with the clients that I did with the, some of the therapists who were very intellectual or just felt like um, very heady and kind of disembodied. Right. And I mean, and who knows, but that, that was a pretty, that was pretty constant because mm-hmm. it was a very easy for me to relate with people and to sit with people and to not be afraid. I mean, I think that's probably something that kind of having a tumultuous upbringing and being gay and all the other things um, you just learn, I don't know how to, how to be with uncomfortable experiences and yeah, that there's, there's really nothing that you can experience as a human being that scares me, you know? Yeah. It kind of normalizes yeah, a, a lot of what other people might think might, you know, actually squirm away from. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you hear people say like, you're going to think I'm crazy. And then they say something that like a hundred other people have said to me. Yeah. I'm just like, why do people think they're crazy for having a certain thought or having mm. a certain feeling? I don't get it, but it seems to be common. Yeah. We're united in that. <laughs> totally. Daniel, I love you so much. Uh, I just, just reminding you that I love you a lot. Love you too. Okay. So, we have three. So you divided by threes. You kind of broke this down into threes. The last three songs of your playlist. I was just taken by how beautiful they all are. I love this song, The Mountain. It just struck me right in the little old pit pat in my chest. The lyrics, I was born in a forked tongue story, raised up by merchants and drugstore liars. Now I walk on the paths of glory, one foot in ice, one in fire. And then the chorus, I see the mountain, the mountain come to me. I see the mountain and that's all I see. Something about that line in particular, the chorus really spoke to me 
I have a memory of driving through the mountains in northern New Mexico with my mom for the first time and mm. feeling like this palpable anxiety. The drive through that particular mountain pass, I had done hundreds of times at that point, and my mom had never. And we were heading back home after a day up in the mountains, and she sees the mountain in front of us. She's like, oh my God, I can't believe we, we're going to drive over that. We're going to drive through that. <laughs> I could just feel her getting very anxious about it, about the drive. And, and knowing my mom and the connection that we have very empathically, I remember holding that space with her. And I was thinking to myself, but we're going to get home at the end of the day. Like the mountain, it's not going to seem that big when we're in the middle of it. It's just mm -hmm. the road that we're on now. It's just yeah. what's ahead of us, you know? Um, and, and I had the, a very striking, you know, memory recall of that, uh, listening to this song. So I'm curious why you picked it and, and what it speaks to in you. It's funny, that story, it sounds almost like someone who's about to be born mm. and who's looking at their life. It's so big. It's so big. Right. And then the sort of wisdom voice being like, well, you know, when you're in it, it's not so big. So of course, you know, there's associations with New Mexico mountains, but also the notion of like a spiritual mountain mm. um, of, of ascending something and coming down and this sort of central kind of center point. And, you know, the verses are all about kind of like different types of people and different types of lives, mm. but it always comes back to the mountain. Mm. And it's just, um, there's something ineffable about it. And I think the production is so perfect. And um, you can tell it's very intentional when things come in, when things come out. And it's nothing crazy. It's nothing flashy, but it's so precise. Mm-hmm. And the and the harmonies and the violin. I mean, it's it's uh, fantastic. It's one of my favorite songs. Yeah, I loved it. I, I'm grateful that you put it on there because I'm I'm gonna be I'm gonna be playing it a lot. Definitely. Good, Dan. We're we're gonna end it like this the way we always do. If you could tell your younger self something to make it a little easier, knowing what you know now, what would it be? What would you tell your your younger self? Maybe that that little dude in Indiana in Catholic school, or even Daniel, seven years ago trying to get through grad school. Mm. Seven years ago, I think I would I would probably put my arm around him and I would just say, "Hey, you you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to figure out everything right now. It's okay. It's okay to be confused. It's totally fine." And the same goes for young little little baby Dan. Little baby Dan, I'd probably say, um, you know, you should walk. You should walk with your head up more. <laughs> you should keep your shoulders back. Walk with your head up high, because I used to hang my head down and stare at the ground and not want to be seen and not want to make eye contact. And I just feel like you should be who you are. Yeah, we want to see you. You're important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You are. But I would, I'd, I'd hug both of them. I was just going to say, I'm hugging you through the screen right now. Thank you, Dan. <laughs> You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Let's go eat some donuts. Thank you, Daniel, for sharing so much with us today. If you're listening and want to support Daniel's original work or purchase his song, Cloudlands, 
and support Border Angels, you can do so at danielshuba.bandcamp.com. We'll be playing you out today with an original tune from Liv Lombardi that was co-produced and arranged by Daniel. It's called Heart on Fire. This show was created by yours truly, Liv Lombardi, that's me, and Courtney Ortel, and co-produced by Virago Artist Management with additional support from Hannah Varnum. Music by yours truly once again, Liv Lombardi. As always, thank you for your ears and your hearts. If you like what you heard today, be sure to subscribe to our podcast, write a review, and share with your friends. Until then, be kind to yourself and gentle. I hope you have a good week, and we'll see you next time. You said you smile, yes, you set it on Baby, in my heart for you For when we danced in your